Today's show is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. Check them out at www.rosettapodcast.com slash holdingbackboard. That's www.rosettapodcast.com slash holdingbackboard. Let's go! Alright everybody, welcome to the 111th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage here in uh, Southern Oregon, feeling a little bit older, and uh, I'm ready to get this shit. A little bit, a little bit wiser? I don't know, man. I, a little bit more mellow. I spent, a, like, I, I, I had dinner with the fam, you know, people came from, like, to to that dinner to like celebrate with me and that was cool i enjoyed seeing family but what i had most fun with last night for my birthday was like chilling with some homies and talking about like old stories and shit so i i think i'm on like the the older smarter this is me at my best type of uh uh sage man uh the dirty d is not dead that used to be my old nickname when i used to do uh other stuff He's not dead. He's still in there somewhere, but right now it's professional sage, and this is what you got for right now. You're in your Yusuf Nurkic here, aren't you, my friend? I mean, are we talking about the 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 year we traded for him, where he was pretty awesome, or this year where he's kind of disappointing? I don't know. You're 27. He was 27. Oh, I, That's... oh no, man. I'm, this is my Aaron Stecker year. He was on this. Yeah, <laughs> no, but nobody who listens to this podcast knows who Aaron Stecker is. You gotta drop that noise. Yusuf Nurkic. 26 was my Deuce McAllister year. No ifs, ands, or buts, but I guess I'm on that Nurk shit right now. I don't think anybody's ever really worn 26 with Blazers, so we'll let that one slide, but... Ooh, it was quite a week, and first off, Happy birthday, my dude. Uh, super stoked for you. Can't wait to see you. Hopefully you come up for the playoffs, and hopefully it is for home court advantage, but... Uh, hopefully not against a certain team that, we've, uh, that we're that we going to talk about later today as well. Maybe. I mean, who knows? But it was quite a week in, in Rip City. The, the Trailblazers saw their 13-game win streak and at the hands of the Houston Rockets, Houston came into Portland, uh, took home a 115-111 victory. Portland, unfortunately, compounded that loss by blowing a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, gave up 38 fourth-quarter points to the shorthanded Boston Celtics, losing 105-100. But in the words of Lloyd Christmas, totally redeemed themselves. By sweeping the Oklahoma City Thunder, this time in OKC, 108-105. All in all, a pretty damn good week. Because if you do the math, had Portland won the two games at home and had their 16-15 game win streak snapped today in OKC, the standings would be exactly the same because of the Mm head-to-heads. And whenever you can get a win and have your closest competitor for that third seed go down a notch, that is so incredibly valuable. So that's how I'm kind of putting this week into perspective is 
hey, it's just the same as how we beat Houston and Boston and then lost to OKC. And really, as heartbreaking as it was to be at both of those games oh, in that's Portland. A, that, that's kind of a bummer, bro. To start this massive, massive road trip off with a win, I think I would rather take that because losing to OKC would have just, I, I think, put a lot of pressure on this team. And also, it's so hard, as we saw with, with the Trailblazers, seeing a win streak snapped, then you don't want to compound that by losing to New Orleans. Portland would much rather lose to a Boston, even if it's at home, than lose to a team you are really fighting in the playoffs for. And if Portland does beat New Orleans, they get that tiebreaker as well. So we already have it against Oklahoma City. We're looking to get it against New Orleans as well. But Sage, let's start uh, Let's start and kick things off by talking about that Houston game, which I thought the guys kind of, for the first time, maybe all season long, showed inexperience. I think they showed, I think they let their emotions get to them. They may have said in the media that this was just another game, but watching them from the get-go, it was not just another game. They started out really quick, quick shots, deep, deep in the three-point line, um, just really played off the crowd in, I think, a negative way, uh, rushed a lot of things, a little sloppy, but for the most part, I really liked their defensive strategy against the Houston Rockets, and... Yes, James Harden went, you know, nuclear. He had 42 points. But really up until maybe the fourth quarter, their their secondary players were completely quiet. And I think that's how you have to beat these superstar teams is you can't let them get a ton of assists. Uh, you can't let them get their role players going. You have to just say, hey, you're going to have to score 60 to beat mm. us. It, it was like for us. Normally, you have that certainty of Dame and CJ providing their points. And then, if one guy contributes, you're winning some games. If two guys contribute, you're beating most teams if Mo and Al Farouk are hitting. All of the like secondary guys did really well, but we didn't have that certainty. Our, you know... This is where our floor is with our two stars, what they will provide us scoring-wise. So it was like, yeah, we get to see players three through eight contribute, but then it's like, oh, we're not going to win if we don't have one and two do well. But I really like the way we play defense in the fourth quarter with when it was like winning time, we pressured 70 feet and made life miserable for CP and James. And, you know, I, I think you have to just tip your hat. They made a lot of incredibly tough shots. CP made some, like, walk-in three-point shots over Zach Collins. And that is not his game. He's a pass-first point guard. He's really never been a just a dead-eyed mm-hmm. three-point shooter. Yes, he has his moments. He's a Hall of Fame player for a reason. But that's never really been his game. Harden was, you know, hitting incredible shots that would even be tough to hit in practice an uncontested voice game yeah practice exactly and it 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 hurt the most i think because we wasted like you said that three through eight performance i mean you're looking at mo harkless and uh chief aminu combining for 39 points on nine of 11 from three 
and you know Nurk did the damn thing with 21 and 11, and you're really feeling good about yourself. If you told me we had those numbers, I say we route Houston. Yeah, like we win nine out of ten games if those those players contribute like that. We're winning nine out of ten. It just happened to be the one game we weren't going to win because the two superstars didn't have their A game. Yeah, and you know, I tweeted this out after the game, and I really wasn't upset. Um, I knew all streaks had to come to an end. If it's going to come to an end, it might as well be against the best team, a team with the best record in the NBA. There's nothing worse than losing to, you know, the Dallas Mavericks or the Sacramento Kings that that ends your streak. You want to lose to the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And here's what it took for Houston to win by four. Dame and CJ were nine for 32 for 28 points, including, I believe, zero of 12 from downtown. James Harden and Chris Paul, on the other hand, were 19 for 31 for 64 points. Houston hit 19 three-pointers at a 53% clip. Nurk had 21 and 11 and four blocks, but he only got to play 27 minutes because of a lot of, I think, ticky-tack fouls. But Um, that's that's a Houston shit. I'm starting to really hate watching that team play, man. Well, because, yeah, there's always going to be tough calls against the Rockets, and you know I know you like Chris Paul, but he there was one time where he literally, literally tripped over himself and got the whistle. Um, he flat out pushed Alfred Camino on the final possession of the game. That should have been our ball with the chance to win it. I don't believe that would have put us in the penalty, but we still would have had three, maybe two seconds left. We know what Dame Lillard does to this team with with little time on the clock with the game on the line. I would have liked to have seen us get a chance to win it because he definitely got pushed in the back. Wasn't called, but, you know, those are the breaks of the game. And it took all of that in Houston one by four. And, you know, Portland really, I I think, learned a lot from this game because, one, I'll be the first to admit, we're not going to get that type of reduction from from Chief and Mo again. I mean, but they, they played arguably their best games of the season collectively as as a duo. However, Dan and CJ are not going to play that terrible. And, you know, if things kind of balance out, you get a couple of things to, to go your way. And I think had Shabazz Napier, hopefully he gets closer to 100% as the, game, the season winds down because he really played the best defense on James Harden. He has such quick hands. I believe he has, he is the total steals leader on this Trailblazers roster. And the few times he was matched up against Harden, he really made you know life extremely. Yeah, he made life hard for him, man. He's got that he quickness. Forced a couple of errant shots. Yeah, he's got the quickness. Yeah. Didn't he like snatch the ball from him? Like James was doing his thing, dribbling, dribble, dribble, and then Shabazz actually timed the dribble move and stole it. Like he's the type of guy. His archetype: fast and willing to get dirty to stop James Harden. We weren't gonna stop James Harden with Evan Turner. He's got the size, but he doesn't have the lateral quickness of a Shabazz. So once James like does his dribble move, gets the that little bit of separation to either get the three or the land, it's over. Evan Turner is not gonna be able to keep up. But with Shabazz, he's game enough to do the like. You're gonna bump me, and I'm gonna be right here waiting for you to try and bump me again. Type of game. And, you know, I, I thought Portland did a great job. You know, you give up 115. I didn't feel bad giving up that 115. This is maybe the, the nastiest team on offense. They've got shooters for days. 
Portland really took away Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. I Nurkic he didn't even. He was a non-factor. A, he was five points and six rebounds in only twenty-four minutes. They did the um, PJ Tucker thing where he played center, right? It's yeah, and so I think Portland can beat Houston. They have to go to the tapes on how San Antonio did in last year's playoffs because San Antonio plays disciplined defense. I cannot count the amount of cheap and ones, and I will, you know, emphasize cheap. They had no impact on the play. Portland is fouling, but the guy's already at the rim. He's he's making the layup. It's just a reach in. I, I think it's the equivalent, and all of, you know, I think Oregon and Pac-12 football fans will appreciate or at least acknowledge this this comparison. It's when the Ducks were at their peak when they were running the zone read. And it was so hard to stop because you weren't disciplined. Your defensive end didn't know who to go to. He, he would bite on the pump fakes and he, he would follow the wrong guy. Well, when Oregon was in trouble is when the defensive ends played really impressive um, disciplined defense. And they stayed in their lane and they made the offense commit. And that's how when Oregon ran into trouble. The same thing happens to the Rockets when you don't give up those and ones. You don't let them live at the line. And, you know... Harden shot 15 free throws. Paul shot six. That's 21 of the team's 29 free throws. That's over 67%. You limit those. Portland wins this game. So there's just little things that go into beating an elite team. And, I, you know, I really felt good after that performance. Yeah, I mean, the the process. They did. They, they competed hard. They made them work. A couple calls here or there, and it's a different game. A, whole, a couple made threes from our superstars who shoot threes. Well, it's a different game. I wasn't... This one wasn't demoralizing to me. This was a hard-fought game where we happened to lose. And you happen to lose sometimes, yo. You know, and talking about demoralizing, that Boston Celtic game, I really thought was going to derail our season. If I'm being completely transparent... We it was a weird vibe. The crowd was the crowd was weak. I heard a lot Boston. of Celtics fans, yeah. There's a lot of transplants. There's always been a lot of Celtic fans. I mean, there are probably a lot of fans from the eighties too. You know, you grow up, you watched, you know, Larry and McHale and, and you know, Robert Parrish and then you know, they won championships a couple in the eighties against the Lakers. Um, but there were more than I can remember which is starting to get really obnoxious because, you know, Portland, we're just this one-horse town, and I just, it's just Did you happen to listen to the telecast afterwards? No, fuck. I'm never watching a highlight of that game again. This, I told you, this was a demoralizing performance. Our wonderful broadcaster started doing the, the, the New England voice. I mean, we held them to 67 points through three quarters. Our defense was phenomenal. I mean, Damon, Dame couldn't throw the ball into the ocean. He was 9-22. of 22. CJ had it cook in. Chief, once again, shot over 50%. Um, and our bench didn't do shit for probably the third game in a row. But we held them to 67 points. We were up 77-67. And all of a sudden... We give up 38 fourth quarter points. I mean, Brad Stevens completely outcoached Terry Stotts. I mean, all it took was one pick and pop three from Al Horford, and Stotts is taking Nurk out of the game. And I'm in the stands trying to comprehend what in the actual fuck is taking place. Um, don't get me wrong. 
Terry Stotts has done a really nice job this year really getting the team to buy in, and I think he does do a great job of keeping guys' confidence up, always giving them the green light. However, our bugaboo this year is when he, one, gets, he, he I think he reacts instead of is proactive. So just because of that one pick and pop three, he removes Nurkic, but we had absolutely no interior paint presence. Nobody was guarding that paint, and Jason Tatum, who was quiet for you know thirty five minutes of that game, starts getting backdoor layup after backdoor <laughs> layup. Yep. You know we have nobody to rebound, and we do not do good when we go small. Sage, we we cannot win if we do not have a big in the game. Yeah, exactly. And the the second thing is a little too stubborn on those fourth quarter rotations. Sometimes you just have to go back to the starters a little bit earlier, and. You know, the bench is a bench for the reason. They don't start. And when you can get that production, it's amazing. It should be like, you know, icing on mm-hmm. the cake. But That's you know, a lot top. of the times, yeah. And like we, we've talked about this through text. There's just some of the players are starting to regress to the mean a little bit. And we're going to need we're going to need them to step up. Um, but yeah, that that game was. I really thought that game was going to cost us because then we had OKC coming up. And, you know, I knew OKC was going to come out, you know, guns a-blazing. Start of a road trip, and I I just saw a lot of things in that fourth quarter that reminded me of habits that I thought we had broken. You know, we were giving away, both Dame and CJ were guilty of this, just literally giving the ball away in the fourth quarter or not finishing layups. You know, just not taking care of the ball, missing wide open threes. And then, of course, when I saw Nurt come out, I got flashbacks to that Brooklyn game. You know, we literally lost that game because we had no answer for their bigs. Here's the deal. What are we the number one team in the NBA at? I think it's only one thing. It's rebounding. Yeah. We establish our... The bigs are a humongous part of our rebounding success. Nurk boxes out. Al Farouk's a hungry rebounder. Ed Davis is a hungry rebounder. Zach Collins is a hungry rebounder. So when you take out any chance of us establishing getting boards every time they miss, giving them those second chances, it's like we're playing against what we're extremely successful at. We're the number one rebounding team. Going small kind of fights against the fact that we're getting these motherfucking boards. It gives other teams chances to get it. It's not always the best thing. And I know with Terry Stott's system, you could think of like more passers and more shooters and all that stuff, but what has been the most successful thing about us is that we rebound the ball. It's not sexy, but it's important to rebound the ball. <laughs> End possessions for the opposing team and start possessions for ourselves. And if, if people are looking at free agents upcoming for Portland, you know this is you know another reason why we need Shabazz Napier back. The, the the toe kept him out of this game, which resulted in Pat Connaughton playing 23 minutes. He took eight shots, six from deep, didn't hit a single one, and really did not perform well in that small lineup. I think if we're going to go small, we do our best when we have our three three guards in there with with Dame, CJ, and Baz. 
And, you know, I thought Baz would have had a much better chance at getting to the lane, getting to the foul line, maybe hitting a, a clutch jumper to, you know, Pat. I think he has surprised a lot of us, but really after that, that game, it was the first game against Minnesota in, in the garden when he had that reverse alley-oop, just been really a complete non-factor. And if he's, it, he's almost like the reverse Aminu, when if teams are going to leave him open, he really needs to start knocking them down because, you know, we're going to talk about the OKC game where our starter scored 100 of 108 possible points, which is just absurd, and that is not sustainable. So do you see our, our bench, are they are they getting tired? Are they just not as talented as we thought? Are they getting worn down? Like, what, is it a matchup? Have, have we just had a couple of matchups? I think it's a mix of everything. I mean, Evan, our bench is Evan Turner, Pat, Ed Davis, Zach, and Baz. A lot of those players that we named are very high variance. Pat and Evan Turner, for one. Like, Evan Turner might have one good game every five, ten. And then Pat might have one good game every, I don't know, eight? Like, it's not a consistent bench. So... It doesn't surprise me when in games where our starters have to provide everything. Because sometimes, you know, Pat isn't hitting. Evan Turner was hurt most of this week, but he wasn't doing that much because his back so I mean like yeah, that that like that that stuff happens when you're pretty front loaded with talent. Yeah. You know, Zach Collins also a rookie. Yeah, so I mean, he's 19 years old. Were you consistent in anything with your life when you were 19? Work. That's about it. Yeah, like this. this but working this working at Albertsons is much different than playing in the NBA. Also, fuck fuck Albertsons. Long-time listeners of this podcast know my true feelings for that that evil corporation, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, oh, what were we talking about before we got on that Albertsons track? Just the bench, oh. and I, I really think our team, reserve-wise goes at the beat of Ed Davis's drum. And I feel like whenever he has a bad matchup, it somehow just, for one reason or another, affects the entire performance. Boston's got a lot of thick boys. <laughs> and, you know, they really made it, it, it tough for him to, to get going a bit. I, I think it, I think the thick boys really affected Zach Collins, though. Because he isn't a thick... Affected him, too. Yeah, it didn't... I mean... I mean, Ed did not have a... Ed, Ed played 18, 17 and a half minutes, had four points and five rebounds, one block. But I, I mean, not but like with Moose, Greg Monroe, there is no way Zach Collins, this version of Zach Collins is defending Greg Monroe when he's posting up. The only chance they had with those two bigs in was at Davis and he put up a better effort than Zach. I mean, he didn't yeah, have the statistically good game, but he made Moose work. He made Moose take a lot of bad shots. Like, when they when Greg Monroe hit his 10, most of it was on Zach. Because Ed at least made him work a little bit because he is more 
muscular than Zack at this point in time. No, that's completely true. And the game was not won in the paint. Portland, I think, more than doubled Boston. The game was won on the three-point arc where you've got Boston shooting 11 of 18 and Portland not knowing when to stop going 8 of 33, including a real bad air ball from, from Dame late in, in that game. That, that's that's another concern that I saw was we were reliant upon the three. You have to have Nurk in the game. He was working that, that pick and roll. He gives us our really our only pick and roll threat. And I just when he's out of the game, we're just real, super he- heavily dependent upon that jump shot, and it clearly was not going in. You know, all night nothing was really feeling you know smooth except except for CJ. But, you know, let's move on. That game was bullshit. And just another example of Portland not taking advantage of players injured. So people can talk about all of those times we played against, you know, superstars missing. But to be honest, we don't. What do you think our record is? Do you think it's 40% win percentage against those teams? Yeah, I I think it's between 35 and 40%. It's definitely not above 50. It is not above 50. And, like,. When we think of those matchups where the center, the, the the star player or humongously valuable players to the opposing team are out, I'm usually penciling that as a loss, to be honest. To be quite frank, like, whatever the reason is, we do not capitalize when John Wall's out, uh, Serge Ibaka's out, Anthony Davis is out. So it's like... Yeah, we get this wonderful thing about having easier, quote-unquote, easier games, and then, you know, the opposing team plays hard and we lose. (laughs) But Portland was able to put that game behind them, jumped out to an 18-point lead, OKC stormed back, and it was really, you know, nip-tuck in the entire second half, with Portland, you know, edging out a 108-105 victory over the rival Thunder, taking the season series 4-0. Sage, was this the most impressive one of the season? Or would you say it was the most important one of the season? Yeah, there's definitely a difference between most impressive and most important. I think definitely importance value is incredibly important just because of it it get it gives us the tiebreaker against a very talented team. But I I would have to say one of those warrior games that we played and one is probably more impressive to me but this was a this was a hard fought physical ass game yeah and i i would agree i think the first warriors game when they were full strength was the most impressive and when we're speaking of important victories you know really this was no more important than the other three against OKC because without those three, this one doesn't mean as much. But if we're talking this point in time, coming off of a 13-game win streak, we had just lost two games. OKC is really eyeing that division title. They're eyeing that third seed. The blood was in the water. We were going to their home court. We were on their turf, and we were still able to get it done. Factoring all that in, it has to be one of the most important, absolutely important dubs. And I tweeted this out, but Mo Harkless was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. When you look at him playing 34 minutes, getting 16 big points, 
7 of 11 from the field, including 2 of 5 from downtown, including that buzzer beater to end, uh, I believe, the third period, uh, chipped in with 6 boards, 4 assists, and 4 blocks. He was a plus 14. Compare him to two probable Hall of Famers in Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, who combined for 22 points on 7 of 28 shooting, 10 boards, 3 assists, and 2 blocks. He essentially outplayed George and Anthony. To me, that was the complete X factor in this in this uh this game. I think Mello if 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 the coach of the Oklahoma City team Billy, Billy thank you so much. Billy Donovan kept Jeremy Grant in instead of putting Mello in, I'm pretty sure the result of the game will be different. I think Mello in theory is a much better offensive player, but in that particular game, Jeremy Grant hit threes. And he was playing pretty damn good defense. So you're subtracting like a good defender for Mello, who, let's be real, doesn't really care about defense. Like, and he took three threes in like a minute and ten seconds, which helped, you know, get Portland over the edge. Like, when I think of the X Factor, I think it's Billy Donovan's rotations and sticking with the starters, even though those bench players were having good games. Those random Ray Felton, who we all hate, Jeremy Grant played well. Like, those type of uh, Thunder players did well that game. Yeah, Jeremy Grant, in 19 minutes, had 17 points on 4 or 5 shooting. Perfect. 2 of 2 from downtown. Got to the line 8 times, which blew my mind. And was a plus 12. He was giving our our forwards, you know, a lot of problems. So it was weird that they, not only they went to Mello, but... Mello had like two or three opportunities at three to put them up six. Missed both. And then when they were down two, Russ actually actually ran a play for him. Mm -hmm. Like Russ drove, the defense collapsed as they should, and he kicked it out to Mello. Like, what in in what world are you drawing up a game tying or winning play for Carmelo Anthony at this stage of his career? Yeah. And didn't he commit a turn? He got doubled really quick and turned it over. Yeah, I mean, you got the yeah. ball. But to be, to be fair, that we talk about high variance. This is a high variance team. Yeah. Paul George was 4 of 15. Melo was 3 of 13. Westbrook was 9 of 20. Um, Really, if OKC was smart, they would have found a way to put Steven Adams in the pick and roll because we had problems containing him he had 18 and 10 on 8 of 14 shooting have Jeremy Grant and uh Steven Adams finish the game run pick and roll and the result would probably be different but I thought Portland did a a really good job of making life difficult for Russell like he only had a couple of of easy looks at the basket Mm -hmm. you know everything else was was pretty contested and they kept him off the line. He only had six attempts. Portland got into early foul trouble in that fourth quarter, team foul-wise, and they still didn't let the game get away from them. Um, it was pretty incredible to see. Portland was up 49-39 on the rebound, rebounding edge because 
every time in the second half OKC missed, I swear to God they got the offensive rebound and put it up and scored. Mm. Like when I saw that we had, you know, just destroyed them in second chance points, you know, that must have been really early first half skewed numbers because we struggled so mightily in the second half to get stops. Yeah. What did you think about the fight? Or the tussle? That's not a a fight. Or the tussle. I was actually, you know, in Sports Center, I was watching, and they led with the fight. Like, they spent two minutes talking about that, and then, you know, 30 seconds of, you know, CJ and Russ kind of going back and forth, actually getting buckets. This was a really fantastic game between two teams that are probably going to get home court advantage in, mm-hmm. in the Western Conference playoffs and you choose to spend it's a it was a, it wasn't a fight outside of Steven Adams the Thunder are full of fake tough guys I mean we saw Westbrook try to come back at Evan Turner but he stopped real quick I mean Ed Davis I have no idea how he got a technical foul I mean I thought it should have been two on the Thunder and one on Evan Turner but and I, I think it was an actual foul on Ed Davis to spark it yeah it was an actual foul like that should have been you know the free throws for OKC but we should have had one because I, I don't that's, that's not a foul for Ed Davis I mean I love the fact that neither team likes each other but that's just late season March playoff type basketball. Yeah, people, right yeah and people are tired and probably grumpy. Like Ed Davis truck sticks your teammate and then you get into a little scuffle. I get it. Hey man. I mean if if, if Nurk was on the floor, I'm sure Russell uh Russell Westbrook would have ran into his face as soon as possible. But unfortunately it was Ed Davis on the court. <laughs> I mean, like, th- this is just two, two two teams that don't particularly like each other getting a little testy because this was a important game. You know, when we talk about Damon CJ not really answering the call against Houston, I thought they both were huge reasons why Portland was able to walk out of that arena victorious. CJ was a bad, bad boy. You look at, at Dame as an MVP candidate, a first-team All-NBA candidate at the guard position who didn't really have it going, but was able to get to the line 11 times. He has now, I think, made 59 or 60 consecutive free throws, which is a franchise record surpassing Damon Stoudemire. And what he did, and what we continue to really champion him time and time again, just kind of step back and, and let CJ do his thing mm. because he was in one of those zones where it doesn't matter the type of defender, the type of defense you throw at him. He's making that shot. You know, CJ at 34 on 14 of 24, uh, five of nine from downtown and really won us that game with the, he had the game winning basket. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not many superstars that would defer to the super hot, you know, secondary player, even though CJ is very talented. I think we all can agree it's Dame's team, but the fact that he was able to like, oh no, this dude's killing it. Let's let's feed him. I'll contribute when I can, but let's have him be the focal point, the engine of the offense this game. It's pretty commendable that your superstar is willing to let, you know, others be the hero. And there was just that embracing after the game and I think Dane posted it on Instagram, 
but you just saw he go up to he he and CJ were face to face. It was very similar to that that moment they had when they knocked off the Clippers two years ago in in the first round when they're just you know embracing. This was more energetic. But he is up in CJ's face, you know, just probably hyping him up because CJ has really been on a tear lately. And for all of the the critiques and maybe, you know, criticisms that were out there of CJ and, and by us as well about him not hitting the clutch baskets this season, you know, especially maybe at the free mm-hmm. throw line. CJ was the reason we won that game late. They our offense stalled out, but he was able to go one on one, and you know, good offense beats good defense. He has the game winning shot with with Russell really draped all over his his left side. You know, still hitting that that jumper inside the the arc. But when we talk about the Blazer backcourt clicking at the same time, and if anybody has watched the Chris Haynes ninety minute interview with with Damon CJ that was released last week, they go into it saying why it's difficult for that to happen because when one guy's cooking, the other guy doesn't kind of want to step on their toes. And I understand that. But I think what we saw tonight is CJ was cooking, but Portland had a miss late in the game. Mm -hmm. The ball came to Maurice Harkless and he quickly put it to Dame in the corner. Dame is still that guy. He's that dude that, with the game on the line, he's going to hit the big bucket. We were down one that put us up two, and that really made you feel good as a Blazer fan because it's lower time, and you know what time it is, and he's always going to. You just feel confident. You feel safe with him, like, with the ball in his hands in the last 30, you know, seconds or the last possession of the game or off a miss. Um, One thing I've been noticing about our big man, which I've really enjoyed watching, is when he can't get the rebound, he's going to try and tip it to a teammate. Have you noticed Nerf doing that more often? Because Ed Davis Nerf does that there. sometimes. Ed does yeah, it, yes. but like now you're seeing Nerf like to try and tip it back out to like CJ the three or tip it to someone like that type of and that's... that type of rebounding. You know, get it into your superstar's hands off a miss when the defense is reacting like that. That's a huge deal, and it could lead to second chance possessions and second chance scores, which is huge. I like seeing it. And Robin Lopez used to yeah. do that too. I mean, like, I, it 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 keeps the the possession alive. And if we're the number one rebounding team, keeping them possessions alive is huge. And it's like you know our our thing. It's our niche that we're so good. Seeing Nurk tip the ball, and he's done it twice in the last few da- games, which I really enjoy. But I want to see him do it some more because that that type of offensive rebounding is huge. You know, I like that. I also like his defense on the pick and roll. He had a couple of blocks on on Harden. He had a couple of blocks tonight, one on Paul George that went off of Paul George. If he's able to be that that rim protector, I mean, he had seventeen and twelve with a couple of blocks and a couple of steals, only one turnover. You know, that's this is the Nurk we need. You know, it doesn't have to be Nurk fever where you're getting thirty and twenty. We need a paint protector, a legit finisher in the paint on offense. And, you know, some guy that is just going to keep the possessions alive mm-hmm. because... Do you think that was on Ed Davis to show him, like, how it helps the team? Or do you think, you know, he's just going to try something new off with offensive rebounding? I would be guessing if I gave you an answer. Yeah. I don't know what... 
I don't know why it's taken Nurk so long to feel comfortable this year. He's looked a lot better Recently, these past few yeah. games. I, I would say we've seen him finish with more authority. I think by nature he's probably a relaxed guy and probably just plays a little cool. I think we got to give credit to Dame, the team, Terry. Everyone's probably been on him, talking a little shit, saying, hey, you need to finish. You're a big fucking guy down there. Dunk the fucking basketball. And he probably takes it to heart and listens. So I think a lot of internal coaching, a lot of those internal meetings, you know, film room practices, I think a lot of that's probably the reason for it because, you know, they're constantly on him. They're saying, we see potential in you. We want you. We need you. We can't do this without you. Putting that on him, making him feel valued. I think all of those ways to coach a player up has really resulted in a Nurk that I think we would all be happy to have for the the rest of the year. Mm. You know, if you told me Nurk was going to be a, you know, 17, 12, and 2 block guy, of course I'll take it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's just been something I've noticed. Like, you know, my my basketball fandom, I've seen a lot of Tyson Chandler tap it out to Chris Paul in New Orleans. I've seen Omeka Okafor do the same. To see Nurk do that. And to see how it like helps the offense and you know get the ball into your playmaker's hands with the tip, the tip rebound. I enjoy that shit immensely. So Portland goes one and two on the week. They are forty five and twenty eight, firmly entrenched into that third seed right now. Sage, let's go around the NBA a little bit. What do you make of this Golden State situation where you have Steph Curry? spraining his MCL after coming back off of an ankle injury. Steve Kerr's already ruled him out for the first round of the playoffs. You know, Kevin Durant is banged up with a rib. Uh, Draymond Green is banged up. I think Clay Thompson is still dealing with a thumb injury. Uh, One, that means you can't expect teams playing the Warriors below you in the standings to automatically get a loss, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a bummer because Portland played them at basically full strength all season long. And two... If you're Portland, I think you definitely want to stay in that three seed now because if you're able to get past your matchup, mm-hmm. you're looking at Golden State rather than Houston. And if Steph is still out, that team does not play well without Steph Curry. Even if he's playing, though. He's out, been out for a month, essentially, right? Yep. He's not going to be the assassin that bodies teams in the playoffs one day back from a month of injury. And then before, you know, he's had two injuries in like a, a you know, a month. He's not going to be that assassin that frightens you 45 feet from the basket. He's going to need a few games to relax and get used to it and develop continuity. I mean, like, as of right now, Quinn Cook's playing like 38 minutes a game. I mean, it, it is all about adjusting. So that isn't the death sentence that it was, you know, four injuries ago. As a Pelican fan, are you now thinking it might be a better scenario playing the Warriors as the seventh seed than taking your chances against Oklahoma City or San Antonio? They don't scare me as much, no. I mean, Steph was... Steph is frightening. And he's one of those X-Factors. And if Durant's still limping around, like... Seventh isn't the death sentence, you know? Like... For most of this year, the thought process was, if you're going to make the playoffs, be that sixth seed. Now you can afford to be the seventh seed, and, you know, it helps. Being the seventh seed, if you're a team that, you know, is fighting 
four through eight, you know, that's still good. Four through ten, even. Like, being that, you still had a successful year. You can use that to be, you know, positive about all that stuff. Like, hey, yeah, we played the Warriors and we got two wins. MLE players, you know, come come play with us. So, I mean, of course, there's going to be those positives. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be a tough out. But now that now there's like that that glimmer of a chance that, hey, things could go our way. If I'm Kevin Durant, I'm secretly giddy right now. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Your legacy took a massive hit by signing with the 72-win Warriors. You won NBA Finals MVP in the championship. No one cares. It did nothing for his legacy. However... If he is able to, let's say Steph misses the playoffs, if they're able to win a title, yes, I know he's still playing with two All-Stars, but really, nearly every team who's a championship contender has multiple All-Stars on their team. If he's able to take that team without Steph and win a ring, going through Houston, possibly going through Cleveland, you're starting to, his legacy gets a little more glimmer, mm-hmm. there's a little Absolutely. more shine to it. So if I'm KD, I'm like, this isn't the worst thing in the world. It's, uh, I'm, if I'm one of the best 50 players of all time, this is your time to step up. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't win You couldn't win a title with, with Russ or with Harden or with any of those dudes in OKC, but you know, now is your chance. I'm sure in the back of his mind he's thinking that, but... Have, oh, I'm sure he wants the easiest yeah. way out, which would be a, a healthy yeah. step. But my, my thoughts are this dude is going to be in so many finals. Like, they still have a few years left. You could take this year and say, guys, I really could do it by myself. I just really Steph, we want you team. to be at 100%. This is a long term thinking. You don't need to rush back, type of, you know. <laughs> it's the campaigning. You know, we don't need you to rush back, man. I got this. I mean, yeah. There's definitely a chance Katie is thinking it, man. Looking out east, I was talking about this at the lunch table with some coworkers, and I was like, I really think Toronto might might be the team that represents the East in the finals. I don't know about Cleveland. And then what does you know Cleveland do? They they won five straight. They they beat the Raptors even after giving up eighty nine in the first first half. Um, Toronto's been dropping games at home to Western. Yeah, Coast, really not OKC, helping us to the Clippers. And thoughts of Toronto choking in the playoffs are starting to get in the back of my head. I think Boston's too banged up. Uh, the Mash units doing a fantastic job for them, and Brad Stevens is a hell of a coach. But they'll have their time later on. Sage. Who's going to represent the Eastern Conference? Is it? Are you comfortable with saying Cleveland will be the team yet again? You know, it's like the Spurs. You always assume. You pencil the Spurs into making the playoffs. You assume that LeBron James is going to make it to the finals. They'll carry this team. I can't. I cannot bet against LeBron James, especially with how great of a, a talent, a transcendent, once-in-a-lifetime talent he is. I, I gotta rock with LeBron James. Until he's proven wrong, there's, I mean, like, until I'm proven wrong, I'm rolling with LeBron. You know, after this week, I, I gotta be back on that wagon <laughs> as well, especially since they got Kevin Love back. I think that's gonna make 
all the difference in, in the world. And Sage, we're looking at the Indiana Pacers. I think they have to be one of the candidates' first most surprising team of the year. Uh, they, I believe, they already surpassed their win total from last year. They clinched a playoff spot with a, a huge victory today. And you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, who might struggle to surpass their win total from last year. What is the the shared you know comparison? Paul George. How does this reflect on Paul George as a player? I know he's barely snuck into the All Star game, but that that does not that does not look good for him. Yeah, I mean Victor Oladipo got that chance to show why people in that 2010 draft loved him so much. He had his 2013. Shit, 2013. I was on radio at that time. I talked about him a lot. I should know that, but whatever. Yeah, like. He's showing why he's so good. I mean, Miles Turner's coming up clutch defensively. I know he's been hurt a lot, but, like, there are professional basketball players on that team, and when you have the surprise superstar, you're making waves, man. Do you think that uh, Coach McMillan deserves some Coach of the Year love this, this season with the surprise job he's doing? Yes, he's absolutely done a, a nice job there, scoring uh, nearly 106 points per game. Back when he was in Seattle and Portland, we really slowed the pace down. Up in Portland, he or up in Indiana, he's really pushing the basketball and playing to the strength of his team. Nate McMillan is at his best when I think his team's backs are against the wall. We saw a, a mass unit for the Blazers in 2010, where even Nate McMillan tore his Achilles, substituting for a depleted Blazers roster, so they had enough players in practice. That's how bad we were injured, and we still won 50 games and made it to the the first round of the playoffs against the Phoenix Suns as a sixth seed. So yes, he does a great job at getting the most out of his his team. My problem with, this is a deeper issue, my problem with the coach of the year is it's always given to the surprise team. Like, is that is that the best coach? Like It's almost like MVP. Are we talking about the best player, the most valuable player? I just think there's so much criteria. Um, but he's got to be up there. But I also think Brett Brown from Philly has got to be up there. I think uh, Brad Stevens from Boston, given all the injuries they've had. Dwayne Casey, the Raptors, the Raptors are probably going to uh, clinch home court advantage throughout the playoffs. And everyone wrote that team off. Rockets um, and Tony hate them, but D'Antoni... Um, I'm sure Terry, Terry Stotts, Stotts is going to get some love. I, I think, Honestly, even I Alvin Gentry might get some love. Exactly. So there's a, a lot of great coaches right now. Um, I think Quinn Snyder as well for Utah. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Long, short answer, yes. Long answer, Coach of the Year, I think is very flawed. When Jerry Sloan never won a Coach mm-hmm. of the Year award, I, I think you kind of have to rediscover what the... It raises your eyebrows a little the, bit. The spirit of yeah. the award really means. All right, Sage, let's take a quick commercial break from our wonderful sponsors. Let's get into this upcoming week of hoops for the Trailblazers. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast... Rosetta Stone is offering a 24-month subscription for less than $8 a month. Rosetta Stone continuously sets the standards in learning to enable people to change their world, and its dedication to improve learning by making it more effective, accessible, and engaging. To try Rosetta Stone today, 
go to www.rosettapodcast.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's www.rosettapodcast.com slash holybackboard for your special offer to Rosetta Stone. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, big week for the Trailblazers as a sweep could really lock down that that third Mm -hmm. seed. Uh, They continue their road trip Tuesday against your Pelicans and Wednesday against the Memphis Grizzlies. Friday and Saturday, they head back to the Rose City to take on the LA Clippers and the Memphis Grizzlies once again. Sage, would I be wrong in saying anything less than three and one would be a massive disappointment? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, you got to beat Memphis twice. Like those twos are gimmies. That that team is so dysfunctional now. That culture is ruined. With Marcus All being all, I mean, at the first start of the year, he's talked about wanting to get traded. That culture's gone. Mike Conley's hurt. They rest Tyreek. They rest Marcus a lot. If we lose one of those two games, I'm very worried about this team because they 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 want that first pick. They want DeAndre Alton. They want one of those franchise savers. So if somehow we lose, that's the disappointment. I think we got to be the Clippers. I think the one toss up is against New Orleans, and we handled the Clippers mm-hmm. just last week. On Sunday. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's all about New Orleans. If Memphis... Uh, I'm counting those Memphis as, as wins and Clippers, we handle them. It's all about the game Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I, I would completely agree. And for Portland, one, you got to protect your home court. I think we let a couple slide against Houston and Boston. But with Memphis and the Clippers coming in, I think the focus has got to be there. I think Portland has done a really good job against the Clippers in making Lou Williams work for what he has. One thing against the Clippers I will point out, we really have to match their intensity. Especially the bench. With their bench. Harrell is a fucking load. But also, something to think about when you're playing the Clippers is their parts as a sum aren't bad, you know, they're above 500, but individually they don't really work out super great. DeAndre and Tobias Harris as the 4-5, they haven't been able to gel, at least against this Trailblazer squad, and then when you bring in Montrez Harrell, you're losing Tobias Harris's scoring from really everywhere, but you're gaining all of his hustle, mm. and you know, do you want to keep Harrell in? Like, you can't play Harrell and DeAndre Jordan at the same time. It's just kind of a clusterfuck. Then you've got Lou Williams, who, who shoots... 30 times a night. They do have the talent to beat us. And, and I, I don't think that needs to go unnoticed. But if Portland just really utilizes Nurk, they get a massive Ed Davis game. And I think it comes down to, to Mo and Aminu. The Clippers are always, Doc Rivers is always going to test those guys. Yep. He has since he came into the league and he's going to continue to do that. I think our guys shoot better at home. Yep. I think we beat the Clippers. I think we beat both Memphis games. I, like you said, I do agree. It's going to come down to New Orleans. So as our resident Pelican fan, give us a, a breakdown because I was watching the post game show and it seems like 
uh, Nico Mirtich and Rajon Rondo are both questionable for for Tuesday's game. All right, so this this Pelican team is the has changed the most in a season that I've ever seen. You know, at first it was the Boogie Cousins Anthony Davis show. Now it's the AD uh, Drew Holiday show. I think I think one of the things we have to really pay attention to is Drew Holiday is a changed player. I have never seen someone go from like a tentative, scared player in the first month of the season to now attacking and attacking and attacking at will. The like level of ball handling has gone up immensely. I remember the narrative about Drew Holiday was he was a fantastic uh fantastic dribbler. And I never really saw it until, like, right now. Now he's one-cut going, like, legitimate star defenders. Um, Drew Holiday, if you look at, like, defensive matrix, is the number one guard defender in the NBA. The number one. Giannis is the best. Drew Holiday is the number two defender in terms of, like, defensive wins added. I know that doesn't mean much to, like, regular basketball fans, but if you watch him play defense... He is one of the best defenders I've I've seen. He's really taken that next step defensively and offensively. AD is just the superstar of superstars. Um, I don't know how we slow him down because Chiefs are a little too small. Nurk's too slow. Ed Davis is too slow. Zach Collins isn't going to be strong enough. I mean that 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 is the biggest mismatch. Can can AD be less of a positive impact on the game than Damian Lillard? Um, if you're if you're Terry Stotts, send that double as do soon you as defend, Do you defend Anthony Davis like you did against Kevin Durant and James Harden? Let the role players stay quiet and let him go for forty, or do you see if guys like Solomon Hill, Ian Clark, um, Etwan Moore, Rajon Rondo, if he plays those type of guys, beat you? What would you do? What do teams do well against the Pelicans? Do is it when AD goes nuclear, or is it when the role players are forced to? Role players are more hit? forced to do active things. I think uh, if Rondo's there, it adds some scary scariness for the Blazers because last two times the Blazers have played the Pelicans, Rondo got anything and everything he wanted, which for some reason, like what I would do if I was Terry Stotts, is 1-3 pick and roll. You switch Rondo onto Evan Turner or Mo Harkless. You pound him in the paint. Force Alvin Gentry to make a switch. Put Ian Clark in. That Pelican's offense becomes less scary because it's Ian Clark and Drew Holiday handling the ball. Um, You force Drew Holiday to shoot threes. If he's shooting threes, he's not attacking the offense. He is relentless this year. So make him shoot. Make Anthony Davis shoot. Um, Emeka Okafor is actually a good player, surprisingly. Um, the chemistry between Czech Diallo and Minikola Meritic is really good. What I, I, what I would key in on that second unit is make Nikola Meritic's life living hell. Get into his face. He is one of those players that Never provides anything offensively in a in a game where he it's a good team, a smart team. So force him to t- 
take those bad shots. He doesn't know what a good shot is. Force him to take bad shots over contested, arms extended. If he hits, it, I mean, it's just like what I said with the, the 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 floor of Drew and AD. If one of those players hits, it gets scary. And if Nikola Meritic hits, because he's a three-point shooter, because he's a good passer, not a great passer, but a good one, if you, you don't let him start contributing, but uh, I don't. I'm not too scared of him just because he does not. He does not come. He does not play well against good teams, and we're a good team. Um, who else is on this team? Uh, you have to contest Etwan Moore's catch and shoot, but it's really AD Drew. Got a, and then just close out. You can't let Moore have an open shot. You can't have uh, Darius Miller have an open shot. You can't have uh, Nikola have, get confidence. If you can contain the stars, it, it's 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 a Blazers win, but it's going to be tough. Portland needs three. Here are my three things. Battle of the stars. We saw uh, against Houston, Portland lost that battle. We need Damon CJ to play how they did against OKC and at least match Davis and Holiday, especially when you're on the road. I think Portland needs Nurk to really own that matchup in the middle with with Okafor um, because he's really, like, they're big. I think Nurk, Anthony Davis has the, the athleticism to block a couple of shots, but stout-wise, Nurk can give... New Orleans problems, just like Anthony Davis mm-hmm. can give Portland problems. The only chance New Orleans has of dealing with Nurk if he's motivated is a Mecca. And then, last but not least, as has been the case during this run, Mo Harkless and Aminu. Like we need Mo Harkless could guys. have a very dominant game. Let's be real with the matchups. Need, Drew's going to be on Dame or CJ. Drew's going to be on Dame or CJ. Rondo's going to be on the other. Each one more is a little guard. If you can force them to take each one more out, that that the lineup becomes a lot less scary. Um, if Mo can post up each one, because he is a small guy, he's strong, but he's he's he can get posted up by him. And New York Mo, he takes advantage of small guards that guard him. So Mo could have a very good game. All right, Sage, what's your prediction? We both have us winning the other three. Do you have us? Do you have us beating? I want to hear yours first. I think if Dame plays, Portland wins. I think there's more. It's strange to say this because we have a, a larger gap between the set, between the fourth seed and the third seed, and New Orleans is really bunched up. Looking at the schedule, I think this game just means more to Portland because it would give them the tiebreaker. Knowing the next three to five games upcoming, Portland could reel those off. They could really cement themselves into that third seed, get, get those 50 wins. And it starts in New Orleans. Now, if you lose the New Orleans game, then you're really banking on maybe beating a Rockets team that might rest Chris Paul, maybe beating a San Antonio team in San Antonio that has been dominant on their home floor, or going into Denver and playing in that altitude. Those are three tough, tough asks to do. I think the best chance is against New Orleans because they they, they played a shit yeah, they played, games uh... in the world lately. Back to back to back, five games in six nights. But this is the first time in like a week that they've had two days of rest. 
But I remember, so I remember AD saying, like, I'm exhausted after the third win against LA in a row. So I don't, uh, it's a tough one for me. I think both teams see this game as extremely, extremely important for their playoff seeding. Oh, man, this is a tough one. With, with New Orleans, with New Orleans losing Cousins, I think realistically, just making the playoffs. Oh yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I think with Cousins, they are with Portland thinking, okay, we need to try to make some mm-hmm. damage because they were rolling with, with with a healthy boogie. But I think with Portland, right now after that that streak, they want to prove people wrong. They want to not only get the third seed, get the fifth best record, advance to the second round. I think if Dame plays, Portland wins. If Baby Watch comes into play and Dame takes off um, to witness the birth of his firstborn, I think New Orleans wins. That's kind of yeah, where I'm at. I mean, it's tough. I I usually curse whoever I say is going to win. Say New Orleans is going to okay, win. Okay, New Orleans is going to win. How, okay, over under like eight, mid, eight, eight tweets for me in this game. You know I'm not the biggest tweeter. I don't know. I don't tweet very much during that. I just no, 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 a for me, tweets, for me. But I don't really follow oh. much, much of that. I don't know. I talk a lot. This is the games where I'm like very active social media wise. See, I text a lot. I do that too. But sometimes th- this is the these are the games that fuck with my emotions the absolute most. And uh, it's tough. I mean, this is like the most important game that these two teams have played in, against each other in like. Are you even gonna oh, watch I have it? Like, to is watch. it that I hard? Have to watch it. I have to watch it, dude. You think I'm gonna let other people that tweet me and tell me about this game? I hate OMP. Absolutely. Nah, nah. Absolutely. Nah, nah. I mean, yo, the Twitter's open. If you really want to talk to me about this game, I will answer questions and shit. But like, I have to watch this game. Dog. This is like the most important game I've. You know, I have to see it. I, I can't. I can't do the. I can't. I can't bear to watch this type of thing. It, it, I have to watch it. This. This is. This is important. Well, I hope Portland wins this game and then New Orleans wins out. <laughs> I think they're playing Houston one more time. Spurs. I mean, it's that stuff. I th- I, that's why I think both teams are like, this is the game that they're all focusing all the energy on. It should be a really fantastic game. Clash of Styles type of thing. Actually, no, it won't. Like, what's Portland's pace at this year? Like, 15? About New Orleans is number one since Boogie left, so I get like you. You would think with the big, the dominant big, eight, the Pelicans would be slow, but that that pace of play is extremely fast. But yeah, this this is this is an important game, man. I'm I'm excited to see what happens, but uh, I'll definitely lend my opinion to whoever wants to hear. <laughs> All right, I think that about wraps it up. Sage, thank you for another awesome podcast. Uh, If you're a fan of the show and would like to subscribe, please do so. Give us that five-star rating. You can find the Holy Backboard podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We are also on the radio from Tuesday, 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dash Radio, baby. Dash Radio, and on the social medias at Holy Backboard, Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram. You can see me overreact on Twitter, and it's a good time because I also show a ton of love whenever we 
you know, crank out, crank out the wins. But that, that, that Thunder game was so important. I gave the Cats, so they get kind of like a, a it's a debit credit system. <laughs> well, actually, it's really just, um, it's really just a credit system because they, 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 they rack up a bunch of fancy pieces and never take them away. They, they earn two cans of fancy feast for that victory over the Thunder. And you know what, Sage? It might be uh, two cans for, for if they beat the Pelicans. Oh, too. wow. The Pelicans are two cans. So you know you're gonna be, you know you're gonna be going up against Rally Kitty because I brought Rally Kitty in for the last few possessions <laughs> and it was a uh, game over. I I'm just I just want to watch good basketball. No one gets hurt and everybody has fun. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what happens. No one gets hurt. Don't ask me who I'm rooting for. I probably won't answer it, but. Uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Sage at sign the Sage, and uh, you know, stay on the high road in life, bro. That's all. That's that's what I'm ending it with. All right, let's go, Blazers. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let-